Uh, today's scripture reading comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, New Hope, it is great to see you all. Good, uh, good, good morning, and uh, it feels great to be back here. Um, back, not only back with my family um, at home, but back with my family as, as a church. Um, I had the, the amazing opportunity to be part of a, a team of short-term missionaries that you as a church sent to Namibia just over a week ago. And um, we just got back on, when did we get back? Uh, we got back on Wednesday, right? And um, it's been kind of a whirlwind since we returned. But um, one, of the, and, and one of the things that we're going to do as a team of uh, the Namibia 17 team, as, we, as, we, as, as we've been called, one of the things we're going to do is, is work out exactly how we can best share with you as a church um, our takeaways um, from that trip, um, our experiences, and, and most important, what we learned about what God is doing in Namibia through Agape Youth, the ministry that we uh, got to serve while we were there in, in Namibia. But for now, um, this morning, all I want to share with you is simply this. Um, I think that we as a church should be thanking and we should be praising our God for giving us the chance to be a part of what he's doing in Namibia. We've got three members of our church who are in Namibia full-time, Steve and Soyan Hong, Jen Chun. The work that they're doing along with the team of other missionaries from Korea that they've partnered with and they're working with, is, um, it's amazing. And, and words really fail me. I think that over the next several days as a team, we're going to be talking about how to best articulate to you what's happening there, and what we expect to happen in the future, what the needs look like, how we can best support and, and, um, and, and facilitate the work that's, being going, that's been going on there. For now, again, I just want to encourage you to thank the Lord and praise the Lord, not just for bringing us home safely, I'm thankful for that, but praise the Lord and thank him for what he's doing there. It really is truly remarkable. I believe that what's happening there is a remarkable movement of the Holy Spirit. I think that lives, and I know that lives, are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Young men and women who, materially speaking, have very little, and um, humanly speaking, have very little hope. Their lives are being transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Um, They're coming to know Jesus, They're being taught one-on-one and in group settings how to follow Jesus. And and as you look at what's going on there, I can't help but think that if the Lord continues to bless and continues to move in the same way that he's moving now, what we will see in the future is not just individual lives transformed, but we'll see families transformed. And as those families are transformed, we will even see the communities that these young men and women belong to completely flipped upside down and transformed by the grace of God. Um, as, we, as we looked at some of these kids who had just, some of them just recently come to know Christ, others have known Christ for a few years and are growing and dis- being discipled and are discipling others to follow Jesus. As you look at them, you can't help but think, what's going to happen as God continues to multiply the number of those of his disciples amongst this community? And, and what's going to happen 
when they begin to get married in the Lord and have children in the Lord and raise families in the Lord, the communities will be absolutely transformed if God continues to work in the way that he's working. So again, the fact that we get to be a part of that, to me, is awesome. It really is awesome. And to think that this is an extension of, a ch- of the ministry of a church in Westchester, New York. I think that if you were to look at some of the places that we visited while we were in Namibia, particularly um, the, the informal settlement community, as they call it. Um, in Brazil, we call these places favelas. In, uh, in, in Namibia, they call them informal settlements, these little uh, communities of, of makeshift homes. If you were to look at that place and then compare it to Westchester, New York, you'd think they are absolutely polar opposites. And yet these are, many of them are brothers and sisters in Christ. And what God is doing there amongst them, I could only hope that he would do amongst us here. I could only hope and pray that he would. So more on Namibia in the future. For now, let's jump into God's word. Let's jump into the book of Galatians chapter 5. And, and once again, thank you for praying for us as a team while we were out there. Thank you for supporting us in that way. Thank you for the financial ways in which you supported the tireless hours of effort that some of you put into preparing materials and resources that we took and we used there and were gobbled up. They were just like eaten up. They loved it. Thank you. Galatians chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, please, please open it. And, uh, and let's look at what God has for us today. The, the book of Galatians, as we've been walking through it over the past several months, has been reminding us again and again that God loves freedom. God loves to give freedom out freely to people like us. And the question we're faced with again and again is, do you believe that? Do you believe that the heart of God is one that loves freedom and loves to give out freedom? Because I think that even if you do believe in God here this morning, I wonder if you are prone to see him as a kind of divine dictator. Someone who doesn't treasure freedom at all. Are you prone to see God as someone who actually likes to strip people of their freedom? He wants to give you lists of rules to keep. He wants to give you lots of work to do. Do you see God as if he's some kind of angry, stingy dad who, who says to you, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for you. I, I, I want what's best for you. I'm looking out for you. But really, all he's doing, he just likes things his own way. And he doesn't really care about what you want or what you need. He's just a selfish, domineering dictator of a father. Is that how you see God? Do you ever see him through that lens? If so, then you need to get to know this God better. You need to look at him more closely and get to know him more intimately. Because far from stripping us of liberty, God's intention and his great purpose throughout history has been to give us liberty. He is, after all, the redeemer God. He he redeems, he frees people from slavery. He's the God who freed his people from slavery in Egypt. Do you know this story? He took them out of slavery in Egypt, released them, and gave them liberty. And that was just the beginning. That was just the beginning, and it was just a foreshadowing of the kind of freedom that God intends to give to his people in the long run. The freedom that he promised to ultimately give us in Jesus Christ. Freedom from sin. Freedom from his own judgment and wrath. Freedom from death. 
and ultimately, ultimately, in eternity, even freedom from all suffering and sadness. That's the kind of freedom that God wants to freely give to people like us. And he doesn't just give that kind of freedom to people. Listen to this. I think this is amazing. In Romans 8.21, it says, but creation itself, that means not just people, but nature itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, our creator God is all about freedom. And and, and here's what the book of Galatians keeps reminding us of as well. This freedom that God offers us, it becomes ours not by earning it, not by rule-keeping, but by trusting in Jesus Christ. You and I can be free in the truest sense of the word simply by believing in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ purchased freedom for us and we receive it from him simply by believing. You and I might have a hard time believing that. The Galatians, the people to whom this letter was written, were having a hard time believing that. That's why the Apostle Paul writes this letter to them. And, and he, says, he says to us in this letter, people are trying to steal, people were trying to steal the freedom that the Galatians had been given in Christ. There, there were people in that church, false teachers, that were trying to bring the Galatians back under slavery. And this is how they were trying to do it. They were trying to teach the Galatians that believing that acceptance with God is a free gift, that's not enough. Receiving the gift of freedom by faith in Jesus is not enough. No, freedom really has to be earned from God. In order for you to truly be free, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but there's more than that. In order for you to be free from God's wrath, free from the power of sin, free from death, and eternally free from suffering, in order for all that to happen, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you need to do more. There's some rules you need to obey. You need to strictly obey a set of laws that God has given you, and if you fail to obey them, then you're lost. Your freedom is revoked. Last week, Dan Lisa um, preached to us from the, from the, the, the beginning of Galatians 5 up until uh, verse 12. And he, and he did such a wonderful job of showing us just exactly what kind of freedom the Apostle Paul is talking about in Galatians 5. Freedom is talked about in different ways throughout the Bible. Like I said, when we trust in Christ, we receive freedom from his wrath, from judgment, freedom from death, freedom from the power of sin. It, it, it's holistic freedom in, in all of its ways, and yet the kind of freedom that Paul is talking about here in Galatians 5 is very specific. So I want to make sure that we get this. Dan explained this last week. I just want to make sure that we get this again. The kind of freedom that, that Paul's talking about here is a freedom of conscience. It's freedom from the law. Here's what I mean. Before, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, there was a time before you believed in Jesus when you looked at the perfect law of God, all of his commandments, those laws, whether you realized it or not, were a tremendous threat to you. They stood over you and they condemned you. 
Because you look at God's perfect law, he tells you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He tells you to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you look at that outside of faith in Jesus Christ, you look at that law, you, you should be rightly intimidated by it. You should look at it and say, if acceptance with God is based on my obeying this law, then I am lost because I have never kept this law. I've never been able to obey it. And, then, and tomorrow I'm going to break it again no matter how hard I try. The law, in a sense, condemned you. But, but, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, in his perfect obedience of the law, and in his death and resurrection on your behalf, in your place, then you've been freed from that condemnation. You can now look at that same law of God and say, Jesus kept this perfectly for me. I have failed, but he has never failed. And not only that, but he was willing to die to pay the penalty that I deserve because of all of my failings to keep this law. And so now I can look at the law, and I'm no longer under condemnation because Jesus was condemned for me, and he rose again. He rose again, which means that God fully accepted his payment on my behalf, and I'm free. My conscience is liberated. I don't need to live, and if you're in Jesus Christ this morning, you don't need to live with that that constant nagging sense of guilt. I haven't been good enough. I haven't done enough. You don't have to live with that guilt anymore. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law for you. He kept it for you. And he died for you. And through faith in him, you are now liberated. Your conscience is liberated. You don't have to be You're freed from performance. You're freed from the need to impress God or impress others. Dan unpacked that for us last week. But the Apostle Paul, as he delivers this message to the Galatians, and he says, listen, you're no longer longer slaves to the law. You're no longer under its condemnation. He knows that as he says this to them, they're likely to take that message and run with it out of bounds to an an opposite and very dangerous extreme. Let me explain what I mean here. The Apostle Paul, throughout the letter of Galatians, is pushing very hard against what we might call legalism. Legalism is this idea, it's this belief that the way for me to find acceptance with God is to keep his rules, keep his laws, and impress him. He's pushing very hard against that. But he realizes that as he pushes hard against that, some people are going to take that message and they're going to take it to the opposite and and very dangerous extreme. They're going to say, okay, if I am accepted by God, not based on my obedience to the law, but based on Jesus Christ's obedience, and if my acceptance with God really depends just on my faith in Jesus and not anything that I have done, then what's to keep me from just sinning as much as I want? Why do I have to care about obeying God then? You see, legalism says, I can only find acceptance with God if I live a very obedient life. Paul's pushing hard against that. But now, in the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see he's also pushing against the other opposite extreme, which we might call license. License, which says, hey, if if God has accepted me, then I basically have a license to sin. I can live however I'd like. It doesn't matter what I do. Paul pushes against legalism, and he pushes against license. What he says in these three verses that we're going to look at this morning, what he's saying is, look, you have been given freedom, but God has also wants you to understand how you should use this freedom. 
What we have in verses 13 through 15 is kind of a user's manual for Christian liberty, a user's manual for the freedom that we've been given through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So three points we're going to look at, all right? First one is this. The gospel frees us to serve one another. It frees us to serve one another. And we're going to spend the most time on that one point. But then we're also going to see that the gospel frees us to fulfill the law. All right? So it frees us to fulfill the law. And we'll see what that means when we get to it. And then lastly, the gospel frees us from competition and compulsion. It frees us from competition and compulsion. Again, I'll explain what that means when we get there. But the first point, let's just look at verse 13 here of Galatians 5. Where the Apostle Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Hear what he's saying here? He's saying, brothers, sisters, Christians, you've been given freedom. But don't use this freedom as an excuse to just indulge your own selfish desires. Why not? Why shouldn't we just take the freedom that God's given us and say, hey, now I can live however I'd like. I can do whatever I please. I can live according to my own laws. Why not? Why can't we do that? It's very simple. It's because the freedom that you've been given is a freedom that is yours in Christ. How did this freedom become yours? It became yours when you believed in Jesus. You were connected to Jesus. The Bible says you are in him and he is in you. You are one flesh with Jesus Christ united in a mystical, deep, intimate way. Because you are now connected to him by faith in this deep and intimate way, it doesn't make sense for you to live in a way that dishonors him, that rejects his will for you. You see, Jesus Christ didn't die so that you could live with a kind of freedom that freely engages in the very sins that he died to rescue you from. Instead, Paul says, think of your freedom as an opportunity to serve others as an act of love. Serve others as an act of love. Think about this. How do you conceive of freedom? What does true freedom look like to you? We all, I think all of us, want to do our own thing. We all want to serve ourselves. We all have these very strong desires to do what we really want to do. The Bible calls us to question some of those desires. Because some of those desires, those deep desires of your flesh, those deep desires that you want are often selfish and they're often destructive. Paul says if you continue to live According to those desires, that's really not freedom at all. In fact, it's slavery. It's bondage. Bondage, slavery to your own impulses, slavery to your own sick, warped desires. Think think of some of the selfish impulses that might run through your mind on a day-to-day basis. Very natural desires that come to you. Are those desires often always good? Think about some of the desires that arise in your heart as you're on your commute to work or you're at school or you're by the pool. Are those desires always good and pure? Or are they sometimes terribly destructive desires? That if you were to really follow out and really really act on, not only would they destroy you, but they would destroy others around you. 
Is your desire for comfort and to be left alone? It's very natural, but is it a good desire? Think about your desire to always get things your way. I have the desire to always want things my way. Is that a healthy desire? Or is it destructive? It's sick. How about the desire to to have sex with any attractive person you see? That desire ever come into your heart, into your mind? Very natural desire. What do you make of it? Is it healthy? Is it good? The fact is that many good things that God calls us to, they don't come naturally. Monogamy isn't necessarily natural. At least it doesn't feel like it all the time. Work doesn't always feel natural. Sometimes your flesh pushes against the call to work. You want to be lazy. You don't want to work. I feel that way sometimes. How about the call to sacrifice for other people? Does that always come natural to you? Like, yeah, I love sacrificing for others. It's often very unnatural. You see, the Bible calls us to question some of our natural desires and, in fact, die to them and follow Christ when Christ calls us to do what feels very, very much against our own fleshly impulses. Here's what freedom looks like, though. Freedom is when you are no longer under the domination of your natural desires. You no longer need to do everything that pops into your head. You don't need to act on every impulse to serve yourself. In John 8, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He says the reason we sin is because we're, we're enslaved to it. Freedom means that's no longer your master. You, you don't need to sin anymore. If you are a follower of Christ, then you are called to say no to the flesh. That is, you are called again and again as a follower of Jesus to say no to your selfish impulses. This doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what those impulses might be. Whether you identify as straight or you identify as gay, whether you struggle with overeating or overdrinking or oversleeping or what have you, we are all, every single one of us, is called to say no to the selfish, destructive desires of the flesh and to say yes to a better way that God calls us to. And when you are empowered to actually say no to those desires of the flesh, when you can actually say no to that master, that's freedom. That's true freedom. The grace of God frees you to follow him. Not from fear, but from love and appreciation and gratitude. God has saved me. I will gladly say no to myself to follow him. That's the way we must be thinking. God's will is good. It's much better than my own fleshly impulses. So so it makes sense for me to want to follow him. That's the way we should be thinking. Listen, the the world often tells us, many, many voices in our culture tell us that true freedom means doing whatever you want to do. True freedom is, is found in being as authentic as possible. Do whatever you feel like and be whoever you desire to be. But the gospel says that the greatest freedom is actually found in denying yourself. And following the call of Jesus to serve others instead of yourself. 
First Peter 2, the Apostle Peter makes almost the same exact point that the Apostle Paul is making here in Galatians 5. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You see, in other words, he's saying, if you are truly free, then live out that freedom in this way, by being servants of God. And the way that you will be a servant of God is by being a servant of others. Really, the word here for servant could be translated slave. It's kind of weird, isn't it? God's saying, here's how you live as a free person. Become a slave. Almost doesn't make sense. You become free by becoming a slave to God and a slave to others. Because prior to being freed by the gospel, you were a slave to yourself, a slave to sin, a slave to your own flesh. We see this in Jesus' own life. Again and again, we see him submit to the will of his Father. Jesus was the freest man who ever lived, completely unencumbered by the hang-ups that you and I have. And yet, what does he say in the garden when he's filled with, I think, what we could only call fear and anguish? He's about to go to the cross and die the most brutal death possible. He's going to face shame. He's going to face rejection from his father. He's going to face what we deserve. And what does he say as he prays to God? This freest man who ever lived, what does he say? He says, not my will, your will be done. You see, Jesus walked out in freedom and expressed his freedom by submitting to the will of his God and his Father. That's true freedom. That's the freedom that's available to us in Christ. If you are a Christian, you've been freed to serve. So I want to just take a moment, look around you, look around, you know, side to side, and, and think about this. These are the people... That God's called you to serve. It's not it, right? There's more. But these are some of the people that God's called you to serve. It, it's, it's very open, the instructions that, that, that the Apostle Paul gives here. He says, uh, love, um, he says serve one another. It, it's very broad. It, it, it's, it's universal. Later on, he says, it, it, it's your neighbors. So it's not even just people within the church. It's neighbors. It's people around you everywhere. Later on in Galatians uh, 6, Paul's going to actually say that we should do good. We should serve everyone, especially those within the household of faith. So you should especially look to serve people within the community of faith that you belong to. But serving doesn't end there. It overflows beyond that. Serve anyone that God has put in your life. How different would our lives be if we looked at everyone that God's placed in our lives and we thought, I'm a slave to this person. I'm a servant to this person. My role in this person's life is to serve them. And if they felt the same way about us, imagine how different our world and our lives would be. My job is not to impress this person. My job is to serve them, meet their needs. My job is not to avoid this person. It's to confront them in their deepest needs and serve them as I'm able, according to whatever gifts and resources God's given me. You see, the gospel is not just about you and Jesus. The gospel is not just about you believing in Jesus so that you can avoid going to hell. The gospel is about you believing Jesus 
and then serving the people that God has put, that Jesus himself has put in your life, in my life. How do we do that? How do we serve? It can look so many different ways. I think one of the things that we can do maybe in our, in our care groups this week is think about some of the ways that God is calling us to serve the people in our lives. You don't need to think big. We can think very, very small. Serving can look like simply praying for others. Serving can look like listening to others quietly, silently, not a word to say, just listening. Just being present in someone's life can be an act of service through love to them. Giving your time, using your gifts, but also it can look like you discipling and teaching others. Becoming their slaves. And saying, Lord, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but whatever I have is yours anyway, so use it. Use me and the lives of these people that you've brought into my life. And maybe service to them is not going to look remarkable and huge. Maybe it's going to look very small. Maybe it's not even going to be noticeable. But the Lord who calls you to be a servant to the people in your life, he notices. He sees it. He sees the sacrifice. He sees how hard it is. And he's pleased. He's pleased with your efforts to serve others. I've seen so much of my family and I have been the recipient of so much of this kind of service since we've been here at New Hope. It's no small thing. It's, it's evidence that the spirit of Christ is at work here. just want to see more of it. More of it. And remember, what, what God's calling us to is to, is to serve broadly. It's not, we're, we're not just identifying particular people in our lives that we think um, would most appreciate our service. You see? We're not just meant to be identifying people in our lives who will pay us back for our service. We're meant to be very liberal in serving one another. This is really hard, isn't it? My, my heart pushes so hard against this. I don't like what God is telling me to do here. It worries me. And yet I know it's good. Sometimes we want to serve those who are most, um, most lovable, <laughs> Maybe it's because their needs are so obvious to us or because they're so appreciative. So we're like, yeah, I'll serve this person. They always say thank you. They always seem so grateful. And it's so easy to serve them because their needs are so obvious to me. We were just in Namibia this past week. And serving in Namibia is not easy. There are several, many, many large challenges. And yet, in one sense... Serving children in Namibia is, is easy in this sense. You look at them and it's very clear. Their needs are so manifold. And they're going to be appreciative. They're going to hug you and they're going to say thank you. And they're going to they're even thank God for you and praise God for you. And so you, you just want, your heart just wants to pour out service. You want to help. But how about your coworker, your neighbor, your family member? who's actually affluent and ungrateful and resistant to your help. It's not easy to serve those people, is it? It's not easy at all. And yet God is calling us to serve the people that he's put in our lives, not just through this ministry in Namibia, which I believe those are people that God has put in our lives to serve. I, I 
deeply believe that, and yet I also believe that God's put people on my block that I'm supposed to serve. And they're not quite as lovable, (laughs) not even close. Who is God calling you to serve? Who? And who is it that in your heart you're resistant to serve? The book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 4, gives us these words. We can't talk about this topic without reading this. We're going to read this and we're going to move on to the next two points and cover them more quickly. But We need to read this. Philippians 2, verse 4, is talking about Jesus Christ, and it says, Let each of you, church, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Jesus Christ. Again, right? Because you're connected with Jesus Christ by faith, you have access to this kind of thinking. This is within your resources because you are connected to Jesus Christ. His mind can be your mind. His desires can become your desires. Paul says, Though he was in the form of God and did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, these words here in Philippians and what we're reading in Galatians 5 remind us that within the kingdom of God, within the family of God, everything is upside down and different from what we might expect. You and I might expect that the way to greatness is to be served. The way to accomplish greatness in this life is to serve yourself, seek your own will, and find other people who are willing to follow you and serve you too. God says, no, you've got it all backwards. True greatness comes this way. Look at Jesus. He emptied himself. He became a servant. He even gave his life. And what was the result of all this? Glory. A name that is above every name. The way up in the kingdom of God is down. The way to greatness is to become a servant. The way to really walk in liberty and freedom is to become a slave to other people. Isn't that backwards? Isn't that unintuitive? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So like we said, if you're a follower of Christ, you're called to serve. But point two is, Not only are you freed to serve, you're freed to fulfill the law. Freed to fulfill the law. Follow this here. Look what it says in Galatians 5, 13 again. It says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what Paul's saying here might sound strange to us. It might actually be confusing because he spent so much time in Galatians saying, look, acceptance with God is not about keeping the law. It's not about keeping the law. But now he's saying, as you serve others through love, you'll actually be fulfilling the law. Hmm. What's he getting at? What's he getting at? Remember, Paul is teaching us that we have been, through faith in Jesus, freed from the condemning power of God's law. 
Our consciences have been freed from that guilt of knowing I haven't done enough. I haven't lived up to his standards. Jesus Christ's obedience has been credited to you if you have trusted in him. You don't have to prove your own righteousness anymore. Jesus has given you his righteousness. So that means that the pressure is off. And yet now that the pressure is off, we've been freed from it. As you seek to simply serve the people in your life, you no longer need to be obsessed with keeping rules and laws, but as you seek to serve the people in your life, guess what you're doing as you do it? You're actually fulfilling the law. You're actually doing the very thing that God intended when he gave us the law. You're loving your neighbor. You see, when we were so obsessed with keeping rules, it was getting us nowhere. But if you have embraced freedom through faith in Jesus Christ, now you've been freed. Now as you serve Jesus and you serve others, you actually end up fulfilling the real intent that the law always had. You end up living like Jesus, laying your resources, your time, your gifts down for others. Romans 13 if, if what I'm saying doesn't make sense, or the way I'm explaining it to you isn't clear enough, I think Romans 13 makes the point more clearly than I can. It says in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Listen to this. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. As you seek to be a servant as Christ has served, you're fulfilling the law of God. And you're doing a much better job of fulfilling it than you ever did when you were hurriedly running around trying to keep all his rules, trying to impress him, trying to make him satisfied with your obedience. You see, relationship to God, it's not, it's not about law-keeping. You've been freed from that. So use your freedom to serve others. And as you do that, you will be fulfilling God's true intent for his law. There's a third point, last point. The gospel not only frees you to serve others, and not only frees you to fulfill the law, it also frees you from competition and compulsion. Here's what I mean by compulsion. Compulsion simply means when you're being pressured, coerced, forced to do something. The gospel frees you from the power of that, and it frees you from competition. Let me explain. Galatians 5 verse 15 says, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See, the Apostle Paul noticed that something was happening in the churches in Galatia. Because they had become such a legalistic bunch, because they were beginning to believe that really the only way for them to find acceptance with God was through rule keeping, it was creating a very toxic environment. It was a creating an environment where people were turning on each other. That's what happens in legalistic environments. Instead of serving one another, you're competing with one another. Who's the better rule keeper? Who's holier? Who's doing more to serve? We start thinking in those terms when we're living in an, an, according to a legalistic mind frame. 
you understand what I'm saying? If you're serving one another out of an effort to impress God and find acceptance with him, then that's not freedom. Not only is it not freedom, but it's going to lead to a terribly, terribly unhealthy environment. Because you're going to be looking at other people and saying, how how come he's not serving as much as I am? How come they aren't as appreciative of my serving as they should be? How come they don't reciprocate whenever I serve them? I listen to their stories. They don't listen to mine. I bring them food. They don't bring me food. I, I, I try to share encouragement with them, but they don't encourage me. You see, we become competitors of one another because we're trying to prove who is the most righteous, who is the best servant around here. See, a legalistic environment is always a toxic environment. Become very insecure. If, if, if our acceptance with God is based on our law-keeping, and if our acceptance with God is based on how well we're serving other people, then we're going to be very insecure, aren't we? We're always going to be wondering, am I serving people enough? Am I doing enough? And when we get insecure, it often leads to that kind of competitive, judgmental, backbiting, what Paul calls devouring within the community of God. Think about it this way. If if you're in a work environment, maybe you've been in work environments like this, where your boss is very demanding, right? Management bosses are very demanding. They don't encourage. There's no grace. It's just demands and criticism. And you constantly feel like you have to live up to their expectations. And you feel like you're always failing, right? Have you ever worked in an environment like that? What, what, what starts to mark that environment? It also tends to become an environment where people start to backbite, where people start to um, compete with one another. You become judgmental of one another. Why? Because you're all fighting to get approval from the boss man or the boss woman. You're, you're fighting to prove your worth. You see, when you're in a, in a work environment where it's oppressive like that and, it, and, it's, and it's law-based like that, It always leads to a a toxic environment where people are turning on each other. They start cutting each other down. Start trying to take credit for each other's work. Have you ever experienced that? The same thing can happen in the church. The solution to that, the answer to that, is to embrace the freedom that we have in Christ. That our service of one another, it's not meant to earn points. We don't have to feel composed, compelled, that is, uh, pressured to do it, and we don't need to compete with one another. Instead, we can operate in the freeness, serving one another, knowing that it pleases God, knowing that he sees it, and knowing that he's pleased. We are all, to one degree or another, I think, or many of us anyway, are recovering legalists. We need to hear again and again and again, look, you've been freed from the condemnation of the law. You've been freed from the pressure to live up to expectations. We need to be reminded of that. But we also need to be reminded again and again that the freedom that you have is not given to you so that you can live a self-indulgent, complacent life. No, it's been given to you so that you can serve others in Christ. Knowing that as you serve others, it's actually Christ serving them through you. So, who's your life about serving? Who are you serving in your life? Are you serving others as an act of love to them and as an act of service to Christ? Or are you serving yourself? 
Who are you serving? We're all serving someone. It's either self or it's Christ and others. Who are you serving? If you are, in fact, serving others, maybe you're weary. Maybe you haven't been getting the appreciation that you think you should get. You haven't been seeing the fruit that you want to see. You're tired. I want to encourage you. Paul's going to say this later in Galatians, but don't grow weary. Don't go tired of serving others. You will reap fruit. There will be a harvest. There will be um, a, a blessing in the future. For now, God's saying, don't get tired. Keep serving. Keep serving. Maybe some of you, maybe you're serving, but you're not serving from a place of uh, freedom. You're serving because you, you feel like you need to in order to earn points with God. You're serving in order to uh, earn acceptance with others or with with God himself. If that's where you are, then you need to hear God's words here again. Nothing you can do will make you any more accepted by him. Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to make you acceptable. Jesus Christ served in ways that you will never be able to, and his record has been credited to you. So rest in that. You don't need to impress anyone. Some of you, perhaps you need to hear the Lord come to you and say, maybe you need to pull back from some of the ways you're serving. Maybe you need to hang back a bit and rest. I don't know if that's you or not. Some of you maybe need to get pushed by God to serve more. Some of you maybe need to to, to hang back. And Jesus Christ himself would often separate himself from people who needed him and say, I need to go and pray. I need to go and rest. The needs are there. I see them. I want to serve, but I also need to go and and rest. You see, God's call to serve others is not in conflict with the call to self-care. You need to care for yourself. You need rest. You need solitude. There's no doubt. What God wants us to do is live, as Jesus did, kind of in the balance of that, where we're serving, we're stretching ourselves to sacrificially meet others' needs, and yet at the same time, we're very mindful of the fact that we are limited in our resources, we need rest, we need to recharge, we need solitude. We need to be left alone sometimes. That's not dishonoring to God. Not at all. Maybe that's where you're at. So some of you, perhaps, you can go home today and think about who is God calling you to serve, and some of you need to think, how is God calling me to scale back? The mark of a true Christian community is that people are serving one another. And like I said before, I've seen this here. I've been the recipient of this here as part of this church. We're not perfect at it. I know we're not perfect at it. None of us is. But it's it's an area where the Lord is encouraging us to continue to grow and grow so that people like me, selfish people, become more and more other-centered. This is what he desires to see in us. Remember the Apostle Paul says that he desires to see Christ formed in you. What does that look like? Christ formed in you means more of a servant heart created in you. More of a willingness to to seek others' good and not just your own. So as we strive for this, we can be confident of the fact that because this is the true church of Jesus Christ and because he is present here by his spirit, he is going to make us more and more like himself. He is going to make 
you and me more and more servants of one another. Let's thank them for that together. Lord, Lord Jesus, when we think about the ways in which you served others, we, we, our meager attempts to help the people in our lives, they just, they just fall flat. They pale in comparison. But Lord, give us faith to believe that even our meager efforts are pleasing to you. That, that a meal shared in your name is honoring to you. That, that, that a word of encouragement or some time spent silently listening to a brother or sister or crying with them or praying for them, that financial help, that all these things, even though they're meager, that to you they're, they're beautiful and that you love it. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to see from your perspective. As we take the Lord's Supper today, as we gather around this table and eat this bread and this juice, I pray that you will remind us of that night on which you instituted this meal when you, when you yourself, the King of glory, were willing to wash the feet of your disciples. Give us the heart that you have. Make us slaves of one another, I pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.